It's New Comics Day, Wednesday, May 2nd, 2018, and you're listening to God and Comics, the comic book podcast that is so authentic that you get newsprint on your fingers when you listen to it. On today's show, pessimism <laughs> versus optimism. We'll talk about whether or not comic books give us an optimistic or pessimistic view of our lives. Is the glass half empty? Is the glass half full? Is the glass actually made of plastic and therefore not really a glass at all? We'll answer all those questions, plus we'll have our recommendation, this or that, and a whole lot more. I'm your host, Deacon Jonathan Michigan. I'm a chaplain at St. John the 23rd College Preparatory in Katy, Texas. On the line with me today is Father Matt Stromberg. Father Matt, where are you? I'm from St. George's Episcopal Church in Schenectady, New York. And also on the line is Father Kyle Tomlin. Father Kyle, where are you? I am the rector at uh, Church of the Messiah Episcopal Church in Fredericksburg, Virginia. I hear congratulations are in order, Deacon Jonathan. Yes, uh, I uh, I was ordained just uh, about a week ago as of this recording, so I guess it'll be about two weeks uh, by the time this comes out. It was very exciting. I was ordained in the cafeteria of my school with the whole student body there. So I got to uh, lie face down during the litany on the floor of the cafeteria, uh, which uh, was exciting. You know, there were some French fries down there, so I just, you know, made a little picnic. And... <laughs> I was going to say, hopefully no one spilled any pudding on the floor. That's well, yeah, that's right. So, But no, it was a good time, and I'm slated to be uh, ordained a, a Catholic priest in August. For those of, uh, of our listeners who don't know, Father Jonathan, when we started this podcast, was an Episcopal priest, and he's uh, joined the Ordinariate of, of St. Peter, and he was just ordained as a Catholic deacon. Well, let's, uh, let's get right into our recommendation. What do you got for us today, Father Matt? I'd like to recommend another book from the Young Animal imprint earlier in the podcast I, I recommended. Doom Patrol by by Gerald Way. And this is Cave Carson has a cybernetic eye by the same writer, Gerald Way, but also he, he's co-writing this with John Rivera. And the artwork is by Michael Avon Oming. That's the artist uh, who was on uh, Mice Templar. Exactly, yeah. yes. Um, and, and he's also was the artist on Powers, right, um, right. Brian Michael Bendit. I really thought his artwork was spectacular on, on My Templar. This is like a whole other thing. He kind of has this psychedelic 60s pop art style. Like It has like a lot of op art and, and kind of like Roy Lichtenstein-esque Bendit dot kind of uh, overlays and things like that. Some crazy neon colors that imagery that kind of evokes like those 1960s like concert uh posters and stuff like that which is it it really makes for spectacular uh visual visuals in this book one of the strengths is, is definitely the artwork which which um just i find very gripping and and, and just enjoyable all through but this story is really great too the uh protagonist is cave carson and Cave Carson may be one of the most obscure 
DC characters ever. <laughs> I certainly had no idea who Cave Carson was or why he had a cybernetic eye for that matter when I, when I picked up this book. Cave Carson originally appeared in The Brave and the Bold, which was uh, an anthology book that DC used to publish. back, The Brave and the Bold, number 31, back in September of 1960. And he is a spelunker. You know what I mean when I say a spelunker? Like somebody who, who like digs through mountains and, 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 and things like that. One of the uh, successes of DC Comics in, in the era when superheroes were sort of fading out of popularity and science fiction books were really becoming more the vogue was uh, a title called The Challengers of the Unknown which DC is actually bringing back in a series that I'm excited about. But Cave Carson was sort of trying to capitalize on the success of Challengers of the Unknown. And he's another kind of science fiction adventurer, um, except he travels underground. It's very much kind of in the vein of Jules Verne, like Journey to the Center of the Earth, where you're going underground. But in going underground, you're, you're meeting, like, these fantastical monsters and, like, kingdoms and stuff like that. Well, Cave Carson has, has appeared kind of intermittently throughout the, the decades in DC Comics. But in this series, finds him as sort of like an older man who has a grown child, uh, Chloe, who's, who's a college student. And he's long since kind of retired from his uh, spelunking adventuring underground and he has an office job and he is a recent widower his his wife Aileen passed away and, and so he's he's grieving her death and at the same time he has this cybernetic eye and part of the mystery when the when the story is introduced is why does he have a cybernetic eye where did it come from but this cybernetic eye is producing these hallucinations or, or visions. And the, the question is, again, the mystery, is this just a mechanical malfunction? Are they real? What's going on here? Well, he's receiving these sort of ominous messages by way of his cybernetic eye. And it's enough to send him out of retirement and to take up the mighty mole again, which is his vehicle that like drills under the ground. And his college age daughter and his friend, John Wheeler, who is another obscure DC character from the 1980s. Do you remember Wild Dog? Wild Dog was a, a, a vigilante and, and car mechanic, and he used to wear like a hockey mask. Yeah. Um, you remember him? Yeah, I mean, he's yeah. pretty obscure. He's, he's, he's pretty kind obscure. of the, I think, wasn't he um, part of the, the influence for that character in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comics that, that wears the ski mask? Oh, I don't know. What's that guy's yeah. name? I forget what that guy's name is. But I, he, he very much uh, might have been. There's like some connection between those two. Yeah, well, well anyway, so he, he joins the adventure, and he sort of is like uh, an interesting foil to... Uh, Cave Carson, who's sort of like the older scientist, sort of a man of, of, of like, you know, and, and, and clearly kind of an aging baby boomer kind of type character, where Wild Dog is, is, is this sort of jock and a car mechanic and like 
a gun-toting conservative, basically. <laughs> they, they have this interesting relationship. They're really kind of opposites, and they play off of each other in, 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 in great ways. So they go underground together and, and, and just very strange, amazing kind of adventure story, you know, uh, exploits uh, ensue. <laughs> so it's definitely worth checking out. Um, there's two uh, graphic novels that collect the Cave Carson has a cybernetic eye uh, storyline. And they've recently just rebooted with a second series called Cave Carson Has an Interstellar Eye. And, and I've only read the first um, issue of that. But that proves to be a good read as well. And now for something completely different. When last we left our hero, Superb Man was battling his nemesis, the evil Dr. Ambiguity, who had hypnotized all the people of slightly off-center city. Just when Superb Man was about to save the day, Dr. Ambiguity trapped him under a force field called a Hegelian Synthesis. You'll never defeat me now, superb man, although there's a sense in which by not defeating me, you've already defeated me. I mean, defeat is a big enough concept that it can hold within it both defeat and non-defeat, don't you think? Something's... something's wrong. Can't think straight. My mind... becoming... soup of contradicting ideas. Yes, just let it wash over you. Isn't it glorious? My powerful force field is opening your mind. By the time I'm done, I'm going to open your mind so much that your brain is going to fall right out. No. Please. No. Or maybe yes. Not sure. I can't tell the difference anymore. Yes, that's it. Make your own reality. Be the you that you want to be in this now moment. Carpe diem. That's French for fish is God. What? Shh, just <laughs> let it go with it. All is lost. Not this time. Who are you? And what I, are your pronouns? Well, I'm Kid Excellent. I'm Superman's plucky new sidekick. And I'm here to make sure that you don't get away with your evil plan, Dr. Ambiguity. Hey, Superb man, catch! What? What is this you've thrown to me? It's the source of your power, superb man. The Living Church magazine. No, that's impossible. In God, all things are possible. And in the Living Church, all good content is made manifest. TLC covers news, theology, church life, books and popular culture for the Anglican Communion and for other Christians who embrace the Catholic and evangelical spirit. I can already feel my mind clearing as I take all this in. Glossy pages, excellent and in-depth writing, and even the Free Covenant blog. It's giving me the ability to break free from this evil Hegelian synthesis. No, you can't possibly. You'll never be able to afford it. Actually, since the subscription gets you 20 issues plus two free issues for only $55, or an online subscription for only 35 how could he afford not to? That's it. 
I'm free! Oh no, he's defeated my Hegelian synthesis, and now he's using his superb strength to destroy my hypnotism machine and release the city. I'm totally defeated, and not at all not defeated. Thank you, Kid Excellent. I couldn't have done it without you. Don't thank me. Go to livingchurch.org and thank them. Once again, TLC has really saved the day. <laughs> oh, man. I did not know you had quite that good a plucky sidekick voice in you, Father Matt. That's, that's amazing. Thank you, Father Jonathan. Well, now we're going to move into our main conversation, which, of course, uh, today is about pessimism versus optimism. And uh, we probably ought to start by saying a little bit about what pessimism actually means and what optimism actually means. I mean, these are two different ways of, of, of approaching the world, a positive approach or negative approach. The classic illustration is is the glass uh, half full or half empty are you are you accentuating the positive or are you emphasizing the negative i think it has to do with expectations right so it's you know you're optimistic if if you generally believe that the good will come to you the better things will come to you things are going to turn out okay right and pessimism is more uh, you generally think things are going to kind of turn out terrible. And that's sort of what you're looking for. So, you know, you can be optimistic even if you're in a bad situation. Mm-hmm. And you can be pessimistic even if you're in a good situation. It's just sort of the way you look at the world. Hence the glass half full, glass half empty idea. Right, because of course the, the theory behind that is it's the same glass either way. In general, and let's let's just kind of start with superhero comics, and then we can sort of branch into other types of comics if you want. But in general, thinking about the history of superhero comics, would you guys say that they are more optimistic or pessimistic in the outlook that they try to engender in the reader? Well, I would say that, you know, looking at the broad history of comic books, that probably from the time of the advent of the superhero comic book with Superman in 1938, somewhere up into the 1980s. I think in general, the outlook that was put forward was an optimistic outlook. Mm. Certainly Superman himself is a very optimistic character. I think he remained an optimistic character even up to this day. I just got done reading Action Comics 1000. And all throughout that issue, one of the things that jumped out to me was the kind of optimistic worldview that Superman holds, which is a belief in the goodness of humanity and the ability of the human spirit to rise above the difficulties of life and uh, do good and help one another and and care for your neighbor, that kind of thing. So uh, I'm not saying I support that particular view or not at this present moment, but that's just to cite that. Superman, I think, has been kind of a model of the optimistic spirit that's been in comic books, in the superhero genre, you know, for about 50 years. And I think you could trace that line through the early incarnations of Batman. I think you can see it in Stan Lee's Marvel superheroes for the most part. I think there's a shift that happens in the 80s, but we can say more about that 
been. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that the whole idea of the superhero is a pretty optimistic one. Mm-hmm. It's born out of this idea of like, okay, so there are these people with these tremendous powers, right? Superman, <laughs> he can have anything he wants. And what does he do with his tremendous power? Well, he to, to, he defends life, liberty, and, and the American way, and in goodness and righteousness, and this power ennobles him. It makes him a hero, rather than, you know, maybe the more pessimistic outlook would be, well, anyone who had as much power as, as Superman would be an extremely dangerous individual, given what we know about human nature, right? That's the pessimistic view would be like, well, no, no, Superman would be a threat that needs to be contained and stopped. And, and, you know, no one could ever be trusted with this kind of power. But the superhero genre shows again and again these uh, individuals that, that, that have these great powers, using them for good. In general, the, the superhero characters from the golden days, despite being vigilante, seem to have a rather optimistic view of like the cause of justice. I mean, one, one could argue differently for, for someone like Batman early on, but uh, they tend to work with the police and the government. They, they get involved in the war uh, effort and, and they support the American cause. There's a very strident optimism also about, about science and, and its uh, ability to produce a better future. We have sort of emerging in some of the other comic books like these monster stories where science produces like disasters and monsters or 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 aliens come and and they're threatening but here you have um science making a super soldier who fights for the american cause captain america uh an alien that comes from outer space that is earth's greatest defender you know superman I mean, even even Batman is, yeah, okay, so he's tormented by the death of his parents, but what does he do? He, 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 he turns the death of his parents into this crusade for justice, you know? I mean, certainly that's the way it's honed later. Now, all of that becomes uh, much more complicated as the genre of superheroes ages, but, I mean, I think it starts off as very much an optimistic kind of idea. I think we have to be careful not to conflate pessimism with a view that says bad over good or optimism with a view that says good over bad. Um, Because this, again, it has to do with expectations. So if you take a character like Batman, you could say that in a lot of ways for for large portions of his existence he's been a pessimistic character in the sense that he expects the worst and prepares for it right you know he's got some kryptonite ready just in case superman loses his marbles and starts messing stuff up he's he's got lots of sort of backdoor uh, exits to deal with any sort of terrible scenario there's a sense in which that's pessimistic, right? He's expecting terrible things, and his and he, you know when he sees people, he kind of has some suspicion of them before he trusts them, um, you know, in a lot of ways. At the same time, though, 
there's still a belief in core good that animates that pessimism, right? So it's not a pessimism of, you know, let's just give up and throw everything away. It's, you know, it's okay. It's not nihilism, right? It's not nihilism, right? It's not it's it's a sort of like reaction against naivety, but it's not necessarily the same thing as like a Superman sort of image which you know, I mean, Superman sort of always expects the the good out of people and seems genuinely surprised when they do bad things. <laughs> I, I agree with your point. I think that Batman's such a complicated character, though, because I think that he, you know, throughout his, his long history, he's had moments in time where he sort of believes in in the approach to humanity and the hope for the future that Superman holds. He has this very strong belief in the, you know, 40s, late 40s, early 50s in particular, even into the campy 60s, where a man can just be rehabilitated from anything mm-hmm. because he's good enough and he can rise above. Um, so he's got this very not suspicious approach to life that just thinks that if you just provide people with the right education, um, if you just give them the right tools, they can make themselves into better citizens and therefore the country can be a better, safer place to live. That washes away in the you know 70s and 80s and then you end up with the Batman that you reference, which is the Batman that's got this sort of edge to him of concern for Superman and concern for others. So, I mean, these characters have gone through a lot of changes over time. I think a lot of those changes have been reflections of our own culture and where our culture stands with regard to optimism or pessimism, sort of its own belief in its future and what we're capable of in that future, which you see the shift of, you know, within our own culture in the late 60s. I think our culture itself becomes a little bit less optimistic of its own future. And I think that gets reflected in the way we approach our heroes. Batman could be sort of more of a realist about evil, but he's still waging a war on crime. You know, he's optimistic to believe enough that he could make a difference, right? And that there's yeah. that there that there's principles that are worth fighting for and, and defending. I like G.K. Chesterton the way he deals with the topic in Orthodoxy, um, and it's been a while since I read it, but he's got this whole chapter on pessimism and optimism that I commend to anybody who's intrigued by the topic. Chesterton comes down and calling himself basically like a pessimistic optimist or an optimistic pessimist or one of those, basically saying that like, well, he's optimistic in the sense that he believes that the world is worth fighting for that there's real good that's worth defending and everything but at the same time he's realistic in his expectations about evil about fallibility about you know the limits of human achievement and and, and things like that um so i mean i think a pure pessimism is just sort of nihilism and and a pure uh optimism is just naivety Right. Very few people like sort of are, are pure I, I, either way. I mean, there's there there needs to be some <laughs> Hegelian synthesis between these two. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, we need. You're a, clouding a, my mind. 
you, you made me think of the movie Seven. You guys seen that movie? I have not. Time ago. I know of it, but I have seven, not seen Seven it. about the the serial killer. Yeah, about the serial yeah. killer. It's I mean it's a it's a dark movie. But there's that last line that Morgan Freeman says over over at the very end of it where he says, Ernest Hemingway once wrote, The world is a fine place and worth fighting for. I agree with the second part. <laughs> you know, like, I feel like that almost is like the modern, like the 70s and 80s Batman would be, would be like that, yeah. right? The world yeah, is, yeah. you know, I, I agree with the second part. Like, this is, we're going to fight for this even if it's kind of, hopeless in a way which actually is what a lot of i've i think a lot of the sort of dark and brooding superhero stories have kind of been like that yes. you know like the it seems kind of hopeless but we're going to fight for it anyway this um, stoicism yeah right? it's uh you know the stiff upper lip <laughs> yeah it's, I mean, it's almost it's almost the watchman to a certain degree yeah. and i think to a you know, in the superhero genre, you can definitely chart the Watchmen as a turning point. Not to say that the that things had not been building that way for a while. I mean, I think Frank Miller's Daredevil. I think um, you know some of the stuff that was going on with Batman in the seventies all began pointing that way. But there almost becomes an overwhelming sense with the Watchmen that these heroes are twisted, and this world is so dark and twisted and you know they're kind of going out there and busting chops but really what's it all for that's almost the nihilism that comes out to Mm -hmm. me in the watchmen even the choice of the art like so comic books are known for um their bold primary colors watchmen took like sort of a, a, a twist if you pick up the watchmen book the colors are are like secondary colors you know i mean there's there's a lot of purple, there's there's green, there's like different like kind of off shades that, that just, just really deconstruct and just at, at every level the idea, the, the, the simple idea of the superhero as, as sort of an uncomplicated black and white figure. The picture of the world is sort of bleak and there's this suspicion underneath that uh, it's all sort of meaningless that haunts the book throughout. You know, one of the messages that comes through very clearly in there, which I think is some meat for us to chew on, is the fact that within that storyline, Dr. Manhattan is God. And so one of the statements that's made in that book at the very end is that God has left. And I think that's kind of a worldview that's a pessimistic worldview that some people hold to, right? The idea that God has just left this creation and sort of let it go in a, in a, its own self-destructive way. But yeah, I I mean, for, for a God, Dr. Manhattan is like the detached observer, you know, he's not, he's, he's, uh, I mean, you know, he's the deist God in a lot of ways because I mean, and, and, and there's, you know the the idea, the image of the clockmaker is very much one that runs throughout the the, um, the the series as well. And and you know in Deism, you know the idea is that you know God sort of wound the world up like a big clock and set the the laws in motion and just walked away. 
he's not he's not there. Yeah, but he's it's a, a it's a father. it's a pessimistic deism, right? Like, I mean, you know, yeah. a lot of the American founding fathers were deists, but they were more optimistic deists in the sense that that what they were kind of uh, banking on was that the human spirit, in and of itself, could rise up over its own worse impulses and so okay maybe you have a tyrant if you have one person in control but if the people collectively have some responsibility for their own governance uh and their own well-being uh and it's tempered by some sort of uh, religious morality uh you can come up with uh, the kinds of you know amazing things, for instance, that Thomas Jefferson came up with. I mean, you know, great advances in uh, agriculture and in science and and so on and so forth. You know, it's funny. Like in our own time, I think that is almost more the struggle. Back when you had Watchmen in the eighties, there was still at least enough of the remnant of Christendom. <laughs> that you might have some sort of argument over what place a god would have in it. Now it's 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 more a question of um do we believe that the human spirit can triumph uh and and make progress or do we think it's hopeless? And so um you know, do we put our faith in the ultimate power of science to save us or do we uh, just kind of throw our hands up? Uh another good example of that you you'd mentioned Frank Miller before. I think um Miller's Daredevil. That's what I was thinking of. Is that what you were thinking of? Yeah, yeah, well and particularly the introduction of the character of Electra. It's like this character that's basically pure id yeah. who uh then kind of turns Daredevil into that and it's just and it's all just like it's all just meaningless. Well, it's the question. It's the it's the horrible nagging question, and you know the character uh, that represents the question in, in Watchmen is is Rorschach. Mm-hmm. Rorschach meaning you know like an ink block, an ink mm-hmm. block that you look at and you say, well, what is it? What do you see? And he's this kind of disturbed character that, uh, in some ways, is motivated by good. He's he has a very black and white view of the world, but. He snaps just completely when he's confronted with fighting crime and just seeing the utter meaninglessness and just savagery of human beings. And he just snaps. And more um, actually even quotes the, from, from Nietzsche, when, when you stare into the abyss, the abyss stares back at you. And so this is the question that, that haunts the work. I think it's a question that haunts... You know, a lot of the work in comic books in the 80s is, is, you know, is life meaningless? Is life meaningful? Is the world good? Can we trust in our heroes? And and the answer seems to be, well, maybe, (laughs) you know? I think we've moved on from those questions into a new place in in comics now. I think it's more, um, and a lot of ways aligning with where the culture is now, it's more like... You know, how do we create our own meaning? And how do we sort of get out from underneath uh, anybody else defining us? Because the ultimate, the ultimate idea of meaning is basically, uh, in today's culture, is, is pretty much lodged in personal autonomy. So, um, you know, how do we push the limits of that and, uh, and, and get that to take us uh, where we want to go? And so that, like, that's the more optimistic view i think in a lot of comics is um you know okay well 
Um, like you, you can see that sometimes in some of the X Men comics, for instance, where they've really they've really kind of taken a turn in this direction, uh, where it's like, ah, man, the world is really kind of beating us down and oppressing us. But as soon as one of us is able to to give an ultimate sort of self expression, then everything will be fine. The other side of this, I think, especially if we push out beyond the boundaries of of just superhero comics a little bit, because superhero comics do inherently have a certain amount of optimism in them that you can't escape from uh, because people expect the good guys to win. So this is this is part of why all of those uh, Zack Snyder films that are so dark, you know, and yet they have to end with the good guy defeating the bad guy. And it, it almost reminds me of uh, the way that uh, a lot of uh, Baroque music uh, had to uh, had to end on a major chord because you weren't allowed to end on a minor. So even if the whole thing was in minor, uh, the whole rest of the piece, you'd still end on a major chord. That's that's kind of the way superhero stuff kind of works. But I think if you push out beyond the boundaries of that into a lot of other comics, into a lot of what's happening in Image or in more indie comics or, or what have you, you, you see a whole lot of dystopian stuff a whole lot of here's what we're going to do after the world collapses. A lot of horror books. And I'm not saying that necessarily there's anything wrong with that stuff, but it just it does seem to dominate. Like there is this kind of like abyss that everybody seems to be staring into. Like or like think of a book like um like The Wicked and the Divine, which is basically like these gods that reemerge, you know, in every generation and you know it has a very watchman vibe to it right and they're but they're gods in a different way like they're sort of like there's rock stars and they're kind of celebrities and so there's there's this sort of interesting cultural critique in it that's happening at the same time like oh we have gods now even if we even if we're not very religious but our new gods can't help us any more than the old gods did so like there's this like this creeping nihilism behind all of that too like uh you know everything is sort of meaningless in the end um and it's, it's, it's very depressing to to read that stuff uh, over and over again it's interesting because uh last year i i did a, a review of a book called how to survive the apocalypse it was written by two christian authors and i can't remember lahay was the... one of them right and no, uh Jenkins. oh no i'm sorry this this was the this fifty seventh part of the uh, Left Behind series. That was a little joke for our, our evangelical listeners. Shout out! No, this was um, this was written by two. Uh, I think they're both professors, um, college professors who taught some form of of Christianity, whether it was like Christian ethics or whatnot. I'm not recalling. The book basically diagnosed where our culture is through looking at the television and movies we watch. And what they pointed out was a lot of what you just said, uh, Deacon Jonathan, that, you know, our culture has very much given way to this sort of dystopian future. Everything is an apocalypse that's coming. It goes down to the smallest TV shows that we watch, and the only hope that it seems to posit going forward is that we create our own future right that we we become our own masters and do that so i actually commend the book it is called how to survive the apocalypse <laughs> i think Alyssa wilkinson might have been one of the authors it was definitely worth and it kind of gave at the end of the book it kind of offered a christian worldview is the christian worldview inherently optimistic or pessimistic in its in its outlook i would say 
and I'm speaking from a decidedly Lutheran understanding of the Christian faith, let's say that, right from the get-go, I would say that it's pessimistic about man, but optimistic about Jesus Christ. And, and I think that does apply to all of Christianity as a whole. We're very optimistic about Jesus Christ and about God the Father and the Holy Spirit. We're optimistic about God's ability to fix a world that is deeply broken, that was created good, but because of the fall into sin and the bondage to death, is deeply broken. We don't believe in our own ability to overcome those powers, to free ourselves from those powers. And that's where I would say that we're pessimistic about man. We believe that we're captured creatures, that we're creatures living in another kingdom under another dominion. But we believe that our Lord, and this is what the cross and resurrection are all about, has triumphed over those powers and has that ability to bring what was once good into a good place again. I would just piggyback off of what Father Kyle is saying. If optimism means confidence in sort of the unaided human nature to triumph over adversity and, and, and you know, sort of pull itself up by the bootstraps, then Christianity is definitely not optimistic. But at the same time, I think it's profoundly optimistic in the sense that all shall be well, all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. And when it looks at the world, it says, no, the world is not descending out of control into ever more um, corruption, but it's in the hands of a God who has acted to redeem the world and will bring uh, his creation at last to its intended purpose. And that's profoundly optimistic. It's optimistic in the sense that even death is not the, the, the last word. And as far as its view of human nature, it's pessimistic for all the reasons that Father Kyle said. Some people hear from Christianity, you know, the message about the fall and about our, our sinful nature and our absolute inability to save ourselves. And they say, well, that's such an awful pessimistic view of human nature. And if that was all that there was, it would be pretty pessimistic. But the Christian anthropology or, or, or the view of human nature, if it only took our sinful nature into consideration, would be to miss the point of human nature. Because the whole point is our sinful nature is not true human nature. It's actually the crooked line. It's, it's the distorted defaced image in fact what we need to uh, consider as the true face of humankind is jesus christ right someone that i read and engage with a, a lot is is fd morris the anglican theologian and he basically says you know human nature should be looked at in the light not of adam and you know we shouldn't start with the crooked line we should start with the right line you know, when we talk about human nature, uh, we should talk about ourselves first as redeemed by Christ. We should talk about uh, human nature first as created in the image of God. And he says something that's sort of interesting. That uh, uh, he says, you know, so many of the of the confessions of the Reformation, you know, kind of start with the fall. 
it starts with the problem. You know, well, mankind is fallen and incapable in, in of, of saving itself. It's hopelessly corrupted. All our works are, 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 are filthy rags. But he, he looks at the 39 articles and, and the creed and he says, what they start with is the triune God. They start with God and the Redeemer. And only after talking about the straight line do they talk about the crooked line. That's a pretty optimistic view of human nature, to see ourselves despite um, what's visible, despite the world of sin all around us and the world of sin in ourselves, to say that, no, human nature, that's not the ultimate truth about human nature. The ultimate truth about human nature is what's revealed in Christ. And that takes a significant bit of optimism. That's really interesting, Father Matt, um, especially what you're saying from F.D. Morris. I've been reading lately a lot of St. Simeon, the New Theologian. Those of you listening may, may not have this experience, or maybe you have, uh, depending on how much of a theology nerd you are. Uh, but I'm willing to bet that you guys have had this experience where you, you start to read a theologian uh, somewhere in the history of the church all of a sudden, and all of a sudden you go, Oh my God, where have you been all my life? Yes. <laughs> right? Like, this guy's speaking directly to my soul. And I love it with St. Simeon, who's uh, sort of an Eastern figure. Um, and this is, you know, gives you the sort of breadth of, of the, the Catholic Church that a guy who was born in 949 is called the new theologian. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but he talks a lot about, uh, like, his starting point is both the church and eschatology the 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 thought of the last things grounds the whole thing in this very beautiful kind of description of creation that is really rooted in uh the idea of our being made in the image and likeness of god and the point of that being right at the heart of what god uh, is doing with us in and and that even if there hadn't been a fall that uh, there would have yeah. been an incarnation so that uh, we could be made one with God through Christ because we've been made in this image so that we can kind of be brought further uh, further into it but at the same time there's this acknowledgement that there's something that has infected the reality of 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 that human experience. And, I, you know, so see, I think that the Christian worldview is not necessarily optimistic or pessimistic in the short term. It is realistic. There's a danger in uh, a certain kind of optimism. When you look at the, uh, I mean, here I am in Houston, the home of Joel Osteen Ministries, right? Like the kind of the kind of Christianity that's become regnant in in large swaths of the culture these days is this the um, what do they call it the name it and claim it, where uh, you know God wants you to God just wants you to be successful and God wants you to be rich and God doesn't want you ever to have a bad day and every day is a Friday and you mean like Good Friday? <laughs> well, that's that's always my comment. Every day might be a Good Friday. But it's, you know, it's this, this kind of warping that, you know, I think the name it and claim it folks are the extreme example of it. But I think even in traditional Christian churches, 
particularly in traditional Christian churches in America and especially in wealthy or suburban areas, you know, there's this creeping idea that Jesus just wants me to be happy. And like this incredible shock when something bad happens to you or to somebody you know, like how could God allow this? I go to church. <laughs> right? I'm not a bad person. And I, I think this is actually what a lot of people, even from the outside, think Christianity, Christianity is, that it's this like fairy wish fulfillment thing. When in fact, Christianity assumes suffering. It assumes that a lot of bad stuff is going to happen to you that's not your fault, as well as a lot of stuff that is your fault. <laughs> and that if you become, actually, if you become a believer, you become a Christian, you'll probably suffer more. Um, you know, it's, and so you can say, well, on, on the one hand, you say that's very pessimistic, except that it's all in the backdrop of saying, yes, but there is ultimate meaning to all of this that goes beyond your ability to comprehend it from within the confines of your tiny little life. And I think that that is the piece that is missing from the whole conversation about, you know, will we be able to overcome our limitations and, and reach for our destiny or do we just, you know, kind of give up and try and enjoy ourselves while we can before the end comes. Yeah, well said. And on that note, <laughs> there are many other things that we could say on this topic. Many that are pessimistic, many that are optimistic, many that are tri I don't know. Um, some that are some that are mystic pizza. You never know. We'd love to hear from you. If you are an optimist, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Comics. If you're more pessimistic, feel free to tweet at us on Twitter at God and Comics. Uh, and if you're Optimist Prime, leave us alone. <laughs> Um, yes, uh, especially if Shia LaBeouf is like right there with you because that guy. Anyway, um, but for now we're going to move on to our final segment, This or That. This or that, this or that. Come on, everybody, let's this or that. Huh? All right, this or that, Deacon edition. Okay. All right, Father Matt, war or peace? Oh, well, I mean, <laughs> um, you have to think about that. You just got to ask yourself, I, war, what is it good for? Yeah, well, I mean, but, you know, at the same time, there's those who say peace, peace, when there is no peace. Um, so I, I may not be thinking war with the weapons of the flesh, but, you know, until God's kingdom comes, you know, I'm going to go with Bob Marley. I got to say War. <laughs> All right. All we war are saying. War in the West. War in the East. <laughs> Everywhere is war. <laughs> All we are saying is give peace a chance. And now we've discovered that Father Matt has become a Rastafari. That's right. <laughs> now we truly, we're a truly interfaith podcast at this That's point. That's right. Okay. Uh, Father Kyle. Pop culture or popcorn? Uh, 
I will go with popcorn just because popcorn is a lot tastier than much of the garbage that comes out <laughs> in pop culture. <laughs> Father Matt, this may be the most important question that has ever been asked on this or that. So uh, choose your answer wisely. Amen or amen? Well, um, I mean, I think they might take away my Anglo-Catholic card if I say amen. (laughs) (laughs) You know, amen doesn't really work with Anglican chant, does it? (laughs) Nope. (laughs) Um, So maybe uh, uh, amen. Amen. Uh, amen is more accurate to the Hebrew, isn't it? Amen. <laughs> uh, Father Kyle, Smallville or Gotham? You know, it's funny. I've actually never seen either of those two shows. Ah. I have been meaning to watch both of them for some time and just have not gotten around to it. Now, I'm going to answer, though, and I'm going to go with Smallville. Um, just because I've heard wonderful things about Smallville, and I actually haven't heard much about Gotham. Father Matt, another really important one for you. Joanna Kearns or Meredith Baxter? Okay, wait. Joanna Kearns is from... <laughs> growing Pains. Growing That's Pains. the mom on Growing Pains, yes. The mom on Growing Pains. I have a vague memory of what she might be like. And, and Meredith Baxter was... The mom on Family Ties. The mom on Family Ties. Both of these shows are sort of just like have merged in my mind. Like they're blended together. So Family Ties was the one with Michael J. Fox, right? Yes. Yeah, and Kirk Cameron was um, on Growing Pains, and that's and, and that's Meredith Maxter is 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 is, is family ties. Right? That's right. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I definitely. I, I'd say. I'd say Meredith Baxter. I would agree with you on that. Yeah. Father Kyle, Wonder Girl or Superboy? I'm gonna go with Superboy, but I'm gonna say Connor Kent Superboy from the. 1990s I like that Superboy quite a lot it's a tough one I was a big fan of Young Justice when Young Justice came out Mm -hmm. and um, and they were both on that team but I'm gonna go with Connor Kent Superboy Father Matt got a music one for you Crosby Stills and Nash or Young Uh, you better watch yourself on this one Oh, I, I, um, I like Crosby, Stills, and Nash, but Neil Young is, is, is my, that's my, that's my jam. You got it. <laughs> Me too. I'm listening to Neil Young. I got to turn up the sound. That's right. <laughs> Quote from Bob I mean, Dylan. Very, and, and many incarnations of Neil Young, whether it's Crazy Horse, you know, whether it's the, it's the, it's the more country kind of stuff, whether it's the solo acoustic even his dabbling into Devo-esque electronica. You know, okay. it's all good. That's right. <laughs> it's all good. I'm going to go ahead and lodge an unpopular opinion here. Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. Pretty much the last time Neil Young was interesting. Oh, oh get out of come here. on. <laughs> get out of here. Keep yeah. on rocking in the free world is kind of okay. But like, but I mean, really, like the creative heyday was when he was still with those other guys, and I and I'll say this too: once once he left them, 
they stopped being interesting too. Like it was all really, it was like they had a chemistry together that just kind of, you know. They did have a chemistry together, but the rest of what you just said is blasphemy. <laughs> I'm just, I agree. I, I'm just I saying. Think, I, think you need, I, I think you need to go back and give those a listen. Sometimes I got to speak truth to power. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Uh, Father Kyle, this one is for you. Intense weekly nightmares or a complete inability to say the word and without giggling. <laughs> I guess I'm, I'm going to go with the intense weekly nightmares because at least then I could continue to speak in public normally on a regular <laughs> basis. It, it would be It would be pretty distracting trying to lead like uh, a requiem a service yeah and you just giggle through the whole thing i mean <laughs> yes you just avoid the it word would, and you'll be fine it would just That's really awful put your pastoral care like in the toilet like i'm so sorry <laughs> <laughs> would it make a difference if it was like a less common word like uh anytime you happen to say navel you you oh, laugh sure. or something well, like then. that you know then that would be fine. I would take that because I don't think I have to say navel too much in public. So, like, so I can't really say navel without giggling anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, our sailors salute you, uh, Father Matt. Um, okay. So, you know, what what we ought to do at some point is just figure out, ex- like, go up the list and figure out, like, where the word line is between where you would take the nightmare ver- nightmares versus the word, right? Like, well, just, there's somewhere it, 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 there's a line. Navel is clearly on one side of it, and is clearly on the other, yes. but well, somewhere it, it, in between, you know. Right? Is, are the nightmares every day? He said well, weekly. I said weekly. Oh, I, well, I have those anyway. But intense, <laughs> really intense. Ask my wife about me waking up screaming. Yeah, I mean... I don't think I will. You just deal. <laughs> you just deal. Maybe you need to change ask, your ask reading the, material. Ask the homeless guys, like, hanging out on my stoop about me waking up screaming. Wow. They hear me. All right. Um, <laughs> Father Matt, scaring the homeless. <laughs> just like Jesus would want you to do okay um (laughs) father matt speaking of scaring the homeless jordan peterson or a 57 chevy so jordan peterson's pretty i mean he's pretty interesting i i I guess i'm glad that like you know someone giving two-hour lectures on genesis has gone viral um (laughs) um which is is kind of cool but a '57 Chevy. I mean, I, I have to go with the bloody Chevy. <laughs> <laughs> Wheel of Fortune or a Lamaze class? Well, um, I'm going to go with Wheel of Fortune. I, I just think there's more enjoyment in watching that than sitting through a Lamaze class. <laughs> What if, let me sweeten it for you just a little bit. What if uh, your Lamaze coach, Pat Sajak, does that do anything for you? No, I don't think so. No? Okay. 
would rather uh, <laughs> rather not have have him tell me to um, buy a vow. <laughs> just breathe and buy a vow. Just breathe and buy a vow. Let's see what Van is doing over by the board now. Um, okay, well, that's all I've got. Uh, so that's going to do it for our show this week. If you would like to listen to the show again, feel free to stop by godandcomics.com where you can also check out links to some of the rad stuff that we talked about today. Our show is also subscribable through iTunes, and while you are on iTunes, I hope that you will give a rating or a review. It helps other people find the program. Our theme music, which you are hopefully banging your head to right this minute, is by Father Paul Wheatley, whose glass is always full of horse manure. <laughs> Until next time. <laughs> Until next time. Uh, I'm Deacon Jonathan Michigan. I'm Father Kyle Tomlin. I'm Father Matt Stromberg. And we'll see ya. <laughs> <laughs>